It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay. This is the key word right here. For a brief moment, now this is God's perspective of time. Talks about this in Second Peter. He has a different perspective of time. And Christians love to twist that text, okay? And apply it to things that it has nothing to do with. For a brief moment, I abandoned you, right there. You see that? Now, let's say that my theory is true and the Roman Catholic Church is wrong. Right? that we are Israel. And it, the subject of Israel is much more complex. You know, there's different tiers. Okay? By the way, in Romans 3, 1, you've got a two-tiered system there. The Gentiles are inferior. Oh, we can't do that. That's prejudice. All right? Yeah, we can. People will freak out and they'll get massively triggered. Okay? So, you know, you can't uh, <clears throat> reconcile your mind with God's revelation because it's all through the Bible, and that's why they want to get rid of the Bible. This is politically incorrect. And they are actually making changes in the Bible, and they got all these new Bibles coming out. They probably got a new Bible every year, you know. To remove some of these offensive things, they think they know better than God. For a brief moment, I abandoned you. Now, we're going to look at that word abandon again in our Christmas scripture. This will get interesting. But with deep compassion, I will bring you back. In other words, you're going to be restored, just like I keep talking about over and over and over. Future restoration, which has to do with what? The new covenant. The same thing they teach in Judaism. We could learn a few things from them, you know, if we weren't so haughty and prideful, because after all, oh, we have the Holy Spirit, which is actually true. But we disavow any kind of tradition. We don't trust. Well, we don't even trust any kind of tradition. That's another side. Huh? Okay. But we don't like Jewish tradition. You know what they gave us? They always want you to have a us versus them mentality. Right now, it doesn't matter what the subject is. Create division. What what happens when you create division? Weakness. Well, that'd be a wonderful thing to create. You know, if you were Mr. Satan, oh yeah, well, let's see if we can get away with that one. And really, it just has to do with what does God allow? Because it's all regulated. And Satan is just a tool, uh, actually, to express God's glory. Surprise, surprise. I never heard anybody say that one before. I said it a little bit differently this time. That, that's a true statement. But with deep compassion, I will bring you back. Restoration in a surge of anger. Remember I've talked about how God is angry with his own people? And it's like the Christian mind just draw a blank. Like, what? See, we've got a lot of things in common with ancient Israelites. 
the ancient Israelite mind could not process that God could be angry with them because he had already revealed that he, uh-oh, here we go again, I have another problem, that he favored them more than the other nations. Oh, you can't do that, can you? That's not totally correct either. Okay. In a surge of anger, and yes, in a simplistic way, God is angry with us. Because this is talking about us. And it hasn't been resolved yet. Uh-oh. Well, that would change everything. Basically, in a nutshell, when God sent a prophet to his people, it's like, God is angry with you. And now you're going to get the details. And they're going, like, what? No, not us. The apple of God's eye, and they would reject the prophet. Same thing today. And these people are even worse. They're stuck in the emotion, emotional mindset. They can't even get out of it. I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness, that word is in this translation, everlasting, okay. It means a long period of time. I will have compassion on you, says the Lord your Redeemer. All right. Um, now we'll go to our Christmas passage here. This is Micah chapter 5, verses 2. I'm going to skip over verse 1 because I, otherwise I'll be tempted to explain that. No, no, no. I don't want to get too complex here, okay? So this has to do with um, <laughs> what we think is the birth of Christ. And that's not important to the passage. But uh, the Protestant reformers believe that this did have to do with the birth of Christ. And it's talking about the Virgin Mary. All right. Uh, but you, Bethlehem, it's a little longer Hebrew term there. It's talking about the city. Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come, to me, come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Actually, that's the passage that I was talking about. Now, is that referring to the birth of Christ? It's a prophecy that he's going to be born. Yes, although it doesn't specifically state that he's going to be born. But yes. But uh, what I want to, now that was fulfilled in the first century, right? So we're all in agreement. And then it says, therefore, this is very important, Israel will be, okay, abandoned. Now, this is a specific translation. It's using the same term as Isaiah 54. Israel will be abandoned until... The time when she who was in labor bears a son. And this is where we get messed up. Does a Christian church believe in the queen of Israel that's coming? We already talked about that. You know what they do? They spiritualize the text in Psalm 45. They hold to the same exegesis as the uh, interpretation of Song of Songs. This actually has to do with what's called the last church father, Bernard of Clairvaux. He uh, promoted that view 
around the roughly 12th century, according to the Gregorian calendar. Right? And he, I believe he wrote a commentary on uh, the Song of Songs. And what is the exegesis based on the unprovable theory that the the woman, I believe there's more than one woman, by the way, but the woman represents the Christian church. <laughs> Not a historical woman. One of the most completely, utterly foreign concepts to the Christian mind is a future queen of Israel. And uh, you're not going to have any Bible commentaries. You're not going to have anything. You're, you're going to get nothing. I've never seen a single thing. Now, you see that? In a cult, or it could be science. You, it could be a university. You know, the earth is... The Earth is a perfect sphere. It's not. It couldn't possibly be an oblate spheroid. It can only be a perfect sphere. You only have one opinion, and that's all you get. Well, it's the same thing here. Okay. So, is there a discussion about you know, potential existence of a of this woman? <laughs> no. You know why? Because she's the she's the wife. Of the Messiah. Oh, there you go. You see that? Well, we don't do that. There you go. So you have to go with your belief system and force that upon the text. You could do it in the reverse, and you could use that as a proof text to crash that belief system because it's not compatible with Psalm 45. It is impossible to prove, okay? <laughs> Let's get it straight. It's impossible to prove that Jesus was married or not married using available scripture. There are no proof texts. I actually believe the Bible leans in the direction that he wants. Is that what Christians believe? No. So they're going to carry that over because that's their concept of the Messiah. Maybe he, let's say he was unmarried in the first century, but when he comes back, he's going to get married. Do you ever hear anybody talk about that? No. Uh, if somebody did talk about it, oh, that's, that's blasphemy. Okay. That's what the devil wants. Huh? That'll keep you away. You see that? That accusation, like, you're a racist, you're a, you're a fascist, you're a Nazi. And people say, well, I better line up because I don't want anybody calling me that. See? This is an old technique um, to fool the simple mind from people who don't have much to say or they don't have anything to back it up. Just an accusation, and uh, it's a form of intimidation. You better line up and be a good Christian. You don't believe that Jesus married Mary Magdalene, do you? Because you're not going to be going to this church. And if you go to a church and you happen to believe that, you better keep your mouth shut. I'm, I'm serious. <clears throat> You'll be ostracized if you even allowed to be in that church. Because a lot of people would say that is blasphemy. He doesn't belong here. There's something wrong with him. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son. There's a child that's coming. It's going to serve as a sign. It's not the Messiah. It is the um, the son of the queen of Israel. Now, I cannot prove it's the queen of Israel, but it's a future woman. The Protestants believe that this is um, the Virgin Mary. Let's examine the passage. Okay? 
it's talking about, you, you've got to relate this to Isaiah 54, obviously. Scripture interprets Scripture, and context is determinative, okay? So it's using the same term. How can this not refer to Isaiah 54? Well, it is. Uh, ask yourself the question, is Isaiah 54 referring to a significant period of history? Yeah. It's long. What about this? It's doing the same thing. So obviously, this period has a beginning. Now watch how simple this is. Remember that Christian church doesn't know they've been abandoned by God. They don't have that. The Protestant reformers, they didn't know that. If they did, it's been excised from history. It's not in any commentaries, okay? They believe they're under the new covenant, right? Well, there you go. That's not compatible with being abandoned by God, okay? So um, <clears throat> when does this period begin? It begins in the first century. Ask yourself this question. Did God restore Israel in the first century? No. That's when the period of abandonment began. See, it all has to do with one thing. When did the period of abandonment begin? And then everything comes crumbling down. The whole edifice collapses. These blind spots exist because God is withholding information from his own people. Is that what we believe in Christianity? We don't like to hear that, do we? And that's not really... Con New Covenant Christianity, they don't believe that God has withheld anything significant at all. That's that. You ever hear that? You ever heard... Remember I said lost knowledge? You ever hear anybody talking about it? I'm talking about anything significant. Do you? No. Have I? No. Historically? No. You think this might be important? Yes. See, if you critically examine the Christian church, which Christians don't do, it's like people don't examine themselves, it starts with you. Then you can go help somebody else. You know what I mean? <clears throat> Israel had the same problem. They were supposed to bring the blessings of Abraham to the whole world, according to Galatians. First of all, they had to uh, examine themselves. Well, they forgot themselves. And uh, that's why God abandons them. Actually, that was his plan the whole time, and that's a different subject. And yes, it's all predestined. They will be abandoned until the time when she who was in labor bears a son. So, in this view, the abandonment had to occur before the birth of Christ. Can they tell us when this period began? No. You might hear some uh, Bible commentary speculating about how God abandoned Judah in the uh, exile that I mentioned earlier in Babylon. That's what you would most likely do. That is an unprovable theory. Okay? Because that is not what it's talking about in Isaiah 54, is it? No. You're going to have to force that upon the text. Now, this sign, this, this, this birth of this child is a sign that who's going to be restored? Israel. 
So we don't believe this has to do with the church, right? So let's go with what they, the Christians believe. They don't think this has to do with the church. This has to do with the uh, restoration of, of physical Israel. So ask yourself this question. Was physical Israel restored in the first century? I'm talking about them. Let's say it's us versus them. We're not talking about Christian church now. We're going with what Christians believe. This has to do with Israel, right? Not us. Okay. So, um, in order for that to hold up, you have to be able to prove that God restored Israel in the first century. Do you realize that the exact opposite happened? John the Baptist, he didn't prophesy restoration. He prophesied destruction and warned people. You know, who, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? That was what was coming against, we'll say, Judah. Okay? The wrath of God and judgment. Does that sound like restoration to you? So when did this restoration occur? No one can prove that, either with Scripture or historically. No one even believes it. It's right in front of your face. It's an irreconcilable contradiction. Does anybody notice? No, they just go along with their view. This is the Virgin Mary, and this is um, the birth of Jesus. And that is why it's a Christmas passage. Of course, it would be anyway, because it does reference that verse in the previous passage. And you can understand why they would carry it over to verse 2. You see that? And you would understand why they'd be confident in their error. All right? Now, it's going to talk about the end of the diaspora. This is a period of probation. Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor gives birth or bears a son and the rest of his brothers returned. So is this talking about spiritual conversion? No. It's talking about the second stage or the, the last stage of the dispersion. The reason I said uh, second stage is because you can, um, you can take all those previous um, stages of the diaspora that I mentioned and put them in one category that has to do with the first stage. Why? Because they were dispersed outwardly away from Israel, the promised land, right? The holy land. So there was different stages of these four. It was all one stage. Now we're going to bring them back. That, that's why I call it the second stage. They're coming back. You're going to have to say that, oh, well, this has to do with spiritual conversion. Uh, ask yourself this question. Does the Christian church have a doctrine of Christians being gathered anywhere from point A to point B? I'm not talking about a rapture. That's a vertical event. I'm talking about a horizontal event. Do they have that doctrine? Now, this is really simple. It's right there in Ezekiel 20. Go to verse 35 to start reading there for a couple verses. Because it acknowledges dispersion. Everybody acknowledges it. Without exception. Unless you're a liberal, you're going to spiritualize the text. <laughs> There's people 
<laughs> they're going to spiritualize, you know, all the ex the exodus uh, from Babylon. There was an exodus coming back. Oh, it's not really a historical event. Of course not. It has some deep spiritual meaning. Those kind of people, stay away from them, man. They're not even believers. Okay? They call them liberal. They might be like in the United Methodist Church, Episcopal Church. These people have never even found Christ. These liberal theologians, okay? They sit in the dark. But they still have an influence on you if you give them any heed. This child, which I do not believe has been born yet, here you go, is a sign of the return of, of God's favor to Israel. You want to see a good example of that? I would go to Ezekiel like 8 or 9, and Ezekiel actually saw the temple in a vision, and he saw the cloud, the Shekinah cloud of glory. That's not, it's a Hebrew term, but it's not in the Bible, okay? But that's what they call it traditionally, the Shekinah glory cloud, um, which it talks about in other places. Um, it was also associated with the tabernacle in the wilderness, okay? You actually saw this visually leaving the temple. And he was given insight that they had lost the favor of God. You see that? Well, you're saying, Dave, doesn't, can't this apply to this passage here? No, because when does the glory return? It returns to a rebuilt temple, which just happens to be in the book of Ezekiel. Remember I said context is determinative? The wider context. This, we're talking about the wider context in Ezekiel. That's the temple he's talking about. It goes into great detail about it in Ezekiel like 40 to 43, uh, even 44, okay? That's in the future. You cannot use scripture to prove that that is a spiritual temple. It's a literal temple. I belabor this point. It's impossible to prove that. Anybody has that kind of um, interpretation, which Protestant reformers had, by the way, because they followed the Roman Catholic Church? And that's usually found within the context of a view of the millennium called amillennialism. They love to spiritualize the text. And that's one of the um, exegetical, expressions, exegetical expressions of what we call supersessionism or replacement theology. Uh, the church replaces Israel. You see that? Uh, the Bible does not teach that. Uh, the, it, first of all, church is a unbiblical term foreign to scripture it's just an english term okay um it is israel all right israel is a compound complex entity that moves through the quarters of time namely history and apparently it's a little bit too profound for the human mind unless god gives sufficient enlightenment which he's not Okay, let's say this view is false. Okay. Can we have a discussion? Can we have a debate? Can we have somebody stand up and prove it wrong? No, we, what do we have? What have I talked about? The wall? Silence. Now, if you know anything about the wall of silence, which is the most effective form of propaganda, 
you should have some suspicions because somebody doesn't want a discussion. It's a little more complex than that. God just hasn't done anything to help anybody. That's, that's the main problem. Okay? But if it was something that somebody like Mr. Satan didn't want you to know because he doesn't want a discussion, he doesn't want a debate, that's why it's the best form of propaganda. It's con the best form of propaganda is concealed propaganda. It's never vocalized. That way it's not identified, is it? How many times have I said that people ponder and discuss things that are set in their lap? Actually, artificially. The human mind at this late stage of devolution has very little creative qualities. And it's deteriorating every year. I even talked about the conspiracy movement itself. Less creativity every year. Does that sound like it might uh, have to do with the Flat Earth Movement, according to my comments earlier? You better believe it. They need some help, don't they? You know who they need to help them? God. Show me one of these people in the Flat Earth Movement. Okay? I'm mostly talking about a YouTube phenomenon here. The YouTube version that has professed that they need um, a revelation from God. So they can put the finishing touches on their cosmology, which is a modern cosmology. It has very little to do with the ancient cosmologies, which all had something in common. Like Oceanus and, uh, you know, a, a physical underworld and um, no planets. They're all so proud that they have, oh, we believe in the firmament. And they'll just wax eloquent tongue-in-cheek, if you're willing to sit there and listen, oh, the ferment, there's the ferment, you need to learn about the ferment. But can we talk about what's in below the firmament? They think it's planets. <laughs> okay. Anyway. It's supposed to be this way. Right? The way it's supposed to be. It's fulfilling prophecy. It's fulfilling Matthew 17. Luke. And once again, my uh, text scroll down by itself. How does it do that? It's done that on previous podcasts. I'm actually looking away from it. And then it, I'm not even touching the mouse. I'm using a mouse on a laptop. How does it do that by itself? All right. Okay. So when are these other brothers going to return to join the Israelites? Scripture talks about this in the detail. It's in the future. Let's take one example of this. I mentioned this last night. Hosea 1, verse 10 and 11, it says Israel and Judah will be reunited. Has that happened yet? Did that happen in 1948? or 1947, compared to what you believe? No. Do they teach that in Judaism? No. What does dispensationalism teach and futurism? Uh, it hasn't happened yet. Congratulations, you got something right. But now we've got new problems, don't we? That's what this is talking about. But obviously... 
if you take what it says there about the, the gathering in Ezekiel 20 literally, that is the event. And where are they gathered to? What does it say? Because it tells you. It says the wilderness of the nations. Now, are the nations like, oh, they're not really geographical areas, you know, with literal rulers? Oh, no, it's just a spiritual application. Well, it better be or you're in big trouble. Uh, but it's not, and you know that. So if the nations are literal, you're going to run into big problems trying to, oh, we're going to spiritualize that wilderness because um, we never heard about that before. That's what we do when we have things that we don't feel comfortable with. Well, that's like a foreign idea to Christianity. I think we'll spiritualize the text. Or we simply never heard about it before. We're just going to spiritualize the text. And that will be a deeper, profound meaning. We're so proud of ourselves, aren't we? <clears throat> Forget into the deeper word of God, which these people obviously have never been exposed to. Uh, because there's no discussion over and over again. Uh, the best way to do this is have a, um, a human being uh, who's physically enabled by God to carry out a seminar day after day after day after day after day till everybody else is physically exhausted from listening to all this, pointing out all the things that are never discussed in Christianity ever. Do you realize how absolutely devastating that argument is to sit there and listen to that? Because you could go on and on. And nobody's ever done this, by the way. All the things that are never discussed, ever. Never even heard. Not around here. Eventually, when the statistics start to pile up, you're going to get increasingly suspicious, aren't you? But we've never had this discussion. We've never had this evidence. Well, it's all over the place. What did I say earlier? Can we have a discussion or an acknowledgement that Psalm 45 could, you know, just theoretically, because we can just take care of that with a flick of our finger, right? So what, we're not scared of anything, are we? Let's just talk about it, and we'll easily dispose of it. Can we talk about it? That that could be that queen, that sometimes it's translated as a princess, could be a literal woman? No. We can't do that. You know why? Uh, God is not helping us, and Satan stole it away. Do you realize how statistically improbable it is that there's never a discussion one single time? What is that telling you? It's called a red flag. There's red flags in theology. And that red flag is identifying, here we go, theological propaganda in a, a mind that is blocked by God that can receive absolutely nothing and nobody in history at all. That's statistically improbable that we can't point this out, even just to make fun of it, to mock it. We're not going to prove it wrong. We'll just make fun of it. Can we do that? No. Not one single time. Reflect on that. That's your Christian church, okay? It sits in the darkness because it's been abandoned by God. The same thing that happened to the mind of Adam, we don't know how severe it was, after he fell. You better believe that he lost some mental faculties, didn't he? That's part of the fall. So here we are at the end of this devolutionary process, 
Should we be surprised? When did that process begin? With the fall of Adam. And what did it affect? The human mind. And, of course, they're going to tell you with this evolutional propaganda, oh, we're getting smarter and smarter every day. And why? Oh, the wonders of science. Okay? And technology. You know, it's that they're related, right? Science creates technology. And that's why we're smarter than everybody. Because we have superior technology. Did you know you can't even prove that? How can you disprove that there was not a, a superior technological society in the distant past? That's what you're assuming. Can you prove this society didn't exist? No. You can't prove anything with absolute certainty before the 14th century. Nothing. Okay? I've talked about this in detail, how it relates to Jesus Christ, things like that. You can create sufficient evidence that he uh, was a historical figure because um, <laughs> he influenced history more than any other historical figure, so he would be the, light, the least likely person before the 14th century to never have existed. Of course, on YouTube, they say, well, Christianity came from Illuminati. Will you go along with that kind of thinking, non-thinking? Okay, we'll stay away from those people. <clears throat> and that's propaganda, too. It's called YouTube propaganda. Okay? Now, it says that um, they're ripping this out of context. So it says that he will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. Stop. Did that happen in the first century? No, he was crucified on a cross. Hold it here. Israel is supposed to rule over the nations according to Isaiah 14. Was that fulfilled in the first century? No. We've got a problem. The only way that you can eradicate this, and you can't prove a single thing, is, is to claim, but you can't prove, that there's a, what's called a, what scholars call a prophetic leap, Aaron, between verse 3 and verse 4. In other words, in verse 4, it jumps into the distant future and the millennial period. Okay? You need to prove that. Can they do that? No. Well, the whole argument stands on an unprovable theory. All right? So that is our Christmas passage. And that has to do with what I used to call abandonment theology. God has never sent a prophet to the church and announced to them, uh, you don't have the standing before God that you think you do. He actually abandoned you. But that was part of the judgment, spiritual ignorance, and so you weren't notified. And now he's come to tell you what the problem is, and you're in good fortune because now you're going to be restored. That's what's going to happen. And you'll actually find this in, I tell you what, let's read it. I read this passage and actually exegeted it in some detail at least twice. This is a um, very important but somewhat complex passage because of all the propaganda. They're trying to cover something up. 
want to look for a red flag and go, what the heck's going on here? God is speaking to the prophet, actually the Messiah. Yeah? Isaiah 40, verse 1. This is a message of comfort and encouragement. Christians are all comforted because they're delusional. It's false comfort based on a false hope, based on promises that don't exist, or if they do, they have yet to be fulfilled because they have to do with the new covenant. They think they have all these things now because Satan fooled them, didn't he? Does this sound like a good trick to you? Do you think that Satan would value of the Christian being overconfident? Remember I said Christianity is a religion of assumptions? that has to do with the New Covenant. It's right on down one. See, it affects... The New Covenant is like an overarching like umbrella. It's everything is under it. See? So it's going to affect pretty much everything. You talk about a massive psyop from the devil. That's what we're talking about. He had permission from God to do this, okay? Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. He's speaking to the prophet, telling him to proclaim a message to the people. Speak tenderly. Isn't this something? By the way, these people today, they can't handle a harsh message. They're like the greatest spiritual children ever. The the biggest infants. Remember Paul talked about spiritual infants who can't handle the uh, the deeper things, which is symbolized by uh, King James, it says meat okay, or strong food, other translations. They can't handle it. What about these people today? Those people were under the guidance of the apostles. What about these people today? They can't even handle a harsh message. Speak tenderly. You see that? To Jerusalem. I, I want to get into this. Jerusalem, Zion, there's a number of terms. They are metaphors for the larger whole. I don't want to belabor this, okay? Do you really think he's speaking to a single city? No. Zion has like four different interpretations, at least, depending on the context. Anything from a single power... Within Jerusalem, which is a stronghold of David, and scholars acknowledge this, anything from that to the other extreme, where it is actually um, the universal church. And that's a universal church is both the dead and the living. And there's at least two other in between. So it depends on the context. He's not speaking to a city, so let's move on. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended. I don't particularly like this translation here. This is the ESV. That's what we use. But anyway, that her iniquity is pardoned. You see that? We don't know that we need to be corporately, I'm talking about all of this, pardoned by God. Do, do we know that? No. Notice how it's everything has to do with forgiveness, forgiveness, forgiveness. Like, you see this Jesus, his arms are outstretched. All he has is unforgivable love for everyone and outpouring grace and blessing. Don't you want to partake in that? This is a massive delusion. 
and we're actually suffering because of it. You can see why we'd be overconfident. Her iniquity is pardoned, and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Do you understand? These people are under the judgment of God. You're under the judgment of God. And that's a fact because you're, you're showing the curse. Genesis 3 curse. So we're not going to get out of this one. But they don't talk about Christians being under curses. In Christianity, do they? <laughs> Even though it's obvious that people are dying of old age. Christianity is a delusional religion that is far less delusional than every other religion. Big thumbs up. You know what I mean? The best we got going out there. And then what we have in verse 3. Here we go. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. That can be translated as desert. Uh, in that climate, if you want to call it semi-arid or arid, uh, a desert was the wilderness. That's why it's translated that way, okay? So it doesn't matter what it says then. The NIB will typically say desert instead of wilderness, but not always. Uh, for instance, I think in Revelation 12, 14, the NIV translates it wilderness. They could say it's inconsistent. But I prefer the term wilderness, okay? Now, here we have a problem. And this is one of the best examples of a uh, double fulfillment. Emissaries were sent to John the Baptist. This is in the book of John early. And they asked him a point-blank question, um, are you Elijah? Why do they do that? Because he, unlike Christians, at least the great majority of them, they actually had the view, which is expressed a number of times. It's also expressed in Matthew 17, 11. Um, Master, why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? They're not talking about a spiritual Elijah. They're talking about Elijah the prophet, aren't they? Yes, they are. That's why Jesus said, who did, it, who did the people say that I am? They said, some say Jeremiah. Do you think they were speaking spiritually? No. They were talking about Jeremiah coming back. Is that compatible with Christian belief system? No. Jesus rebukes him and say, you're in error about that. There's no such thing. I don't even want to go into it. We've talked about this over and over again. There's a middle position on what we call reincarnation. It's much closer to the Christian view. And it, you'll find it within Judaism historically. It allows, um, in certain instances, that an important patriarch could be incarnated more than once. Do they have that in Christianity? No. No, no, no. But we've pointed out how that's an error, haven't we? They have one proof text, Hebrews 9.27, but you've got people dying more than once in the Bible. So that goes right down to two. So now what's your second proof text? You have nothing. Does that illustrate to you that they might be overconfident? I think so. I think so. We don't. Remember, these are the people that are saying, well, let everything be confirmed in the mouths of two or three witnesses, right? Well, we don't need a second witness for that because, you know, reincarnation is pagan doctrine from Satan. So for that false doctrine, we only need one verse. But that verse doesn't teach that, does it? Have they noticed this yet? No. Why? 
But I say, they're overconfident. How can this not be true? Do you hear Christians critiquing the Christian church like this? No. Have I ever heard anybody? No. This is what a prophet would do, wouldn't they? Do you know the prophets would show up with zero compliments? Did you know that the pastor is always building you up? Did you know that Paul said, you know, to build the people up in the faith? Encourage them. There's people under tribulation, okay? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you cannot show up with a message where you have zero encouragement or zero positive comment. You always got to have, it's like that pastor's got to have a little twinkle in his eye. He's got to have that before. People will get up and leave, and they won't come back. Okay? You've got to treat them like children because that's what they are. They're spiritual children and spiritual dunces. I said dunce. Okay? <clears throat> and the evidence for that is overwhelming. And um, because that's the result of the judgment of God. Okay? You, if you want to use the little children metaphor, spiritual children, that'll, that's fine. But they're lacking in knowledge, aren't they? Okay. In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Actually, it translated desert the second time. So anyway, um, John the Baptist disavowed that. He said no. Uh, he said, I'm the voice crying out in the wilderness. In other words, he was applying this passage to him. Now, this is similar to what you see there in Micah 5, because it's talking about a period of abandonment. Right? So did this period of abandonment um, occur, let's say, back in Ezra and Nehemiah's day? or Actually, that would not be true, because that was... A restoration. By the way, that was a restoration. They built an inferior temple. So, did the um, did the abandonment occur when Judah went into uh, exile? No. Well, it has to do with whether or not John the Baptist preached a message restoration. Now, here's where we can see. The whole edifice collapses. He said nothing about restoration, and you need to know that for a fact. Because that will expose that we've been lied to on a massive scale about the nature of what I call institutional Christianity. Which, idealistic, idealistically speaking, it's not from God. It's actually a judgment from God. He is involved with that, of course, because it's a judgment. This is as good as it gets. Right? And it's a false religion. It's not, it's the best religion, but it's a false religion. It's not up to a biblical standard. And there's nothing anybody can do about it. It's like Humpty Dumpty. You can't put it back together again. No. And Jesus talked about these whitewashed tombs. You know, the great Roman Catholic Church and the whole history. You know, Roman Catholics are proud of that. All their wars, historical feats. Very impressed with themselves. So is the Eastern Church. So are the Protestants. And they all fight back and forth, don't they? 
what I say about the fallen human ego. So, this cannot be reconciled with the immediate context in verse 1 and 2. And why is that? You have nothing in Scripture that would even imply that he ever spoke that message, which has to do with restoration. You know what he did? The exact opposite. He announced the beginning of that period, which hadn't even started yet. When did it begin? Well, it occurred in two stages. If I want to simplify it, I would say with destruction of the temple in the latter part of the first century, which had to do with the destruction of their religion. It came to an abrupt ending. All right? Because it was a temple-based religion. But technically, you could say it was two stages because uh, when the veil was rent on the temple, that was a clear outward sign. You can't actually prove this because you could say it's a portent. Okay? Of God removing his favor. Here we go. Institutional Judaism. Now, Judaism is different because it did have a God-ordained institutional quality. It was a God-ordained theocracy. It was an institutional religion. Now, after God abandoned Israel, he did not create a new institution. He did not replace it with a new theocracy. What happened is Roman, the Roman Catholic institution sprung up. And did Roman Catholicism come from God as an institution, God-ordained institution? No, it did not. Of course, Roman Catholics believe that, don't they? Okay. So, if you look at the context before and after, you will see this has to do with the future with the, what I believe, the exception of verse 4. Now, I'm not going to belabor this point, verse 4, but I talk about a worldwide cataclysm which is very clearly outlined in Scripture and occurred in the first century, which occurred over and over again, and uh, we're suffering from lack of knowledge, okay? It was greater in severity than the flood, and that's what Scripture says. You can go to Zephaniah, Chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, and it will tell you of a cataclysm by fire. If you look at the context, there's two examples. Context of um, Zephaniah, where the world is consumed in fire. So that, we don't need to know that. What we need to know is that it's a greater cataclysm than the flood. And Jesus said it. Yeah, he said that there will be greater tribulation than ever in reference to both the past and the future, which is a good thing. Because it's not going to get as bad as that, what they had to go through. Okay? Um, <clears throat> and by the way, we have a lesser, this is the good news, we have a lesser responsibility before God than the ancient, uh, first of all, the first century Christian church, because they were guided by the apostles, right? Remember I said we have no authority? The, great, the more authority, or responsibility, and they had you know, God ordained, you know, priesthood. Right? They had prophets. Where's our prophets? <laughs> Somewhere on YouTube, if you look hard enough, and then like what? 
send me your greatest, you know, Pastor Dana covered it. No, just another confused person was not very much light. Obviously, that that's the best we have right now. So that's been exposed. You wonder whether he should have made those things public. It looks like he thought that God told him to do that. So <laughs> I don't think God wanted him to make all that public because um, there was a significant, significant failures there. Right? So did God want him to make that public? You could easily make the case, um, no. So, yeah, there was a massive cataclysm. Here's what happened uh, in that cataclysm. Every valley was lifted up and every mountain and hill was made low. And the uneven ground uh, became level and the rough places of plain. And we think that that's speaking metaphorically in verse 4, don't we? Now, this is going to happen again, but it's not going to be that severe. We don't need to focus on verse 4. I can make the case that that's also a double fulfillment, too. It shouldn't be surprising there's two double fulfillment verses back to back. Okay, but we run into problems when we go to verse 5. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Okay, that was fulfilled in the first century, but we're confused about that. But if you go on, it's talking about the distant future. A voice says, cry. He's still speaking to the prophet. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. And then it says in verse 9, Go up on a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem. Hail of good news, lift it up, fear not, say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Did that happen in the first century? No. Look at the parallel there with uh, the book of Micah chapter 5. Verse 11, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He's talking about the same thing. So in order to reconcile this, you have to have another prophetic leap. Yeah, but you have to be able to prove that. And you'll have different views. I mean, there's people out there, they, they would probably acknowledge a prophetic leap. All, this is not, I'm making it a little bit too complex. All I'm trying to say is that verse 3 has a double fulfillment, but we're focused on verse 1, verse 2. And what does that have to do with the appearance of the prophet who announces that this period of probation, which I call the diaspora, guess what? It's over. And now we're going to get blessed. Ha-ha! Good news! You see that? Not bad news. That wasn't fulfilled in the first century. So you can easily make the case that John the Baptist was kind of like a prototype of, see, there was a, there was a wilderness prophet coming, why would we call him wilderness prophet? I already said he's in the wilderness. That's where the message comes from. It, it's not in the cities. You know, it's not on television. It's actually in the wilderness. Okay? And that's where you're going to hear the message. It's not going to be 
therefore the secular world. You have to go to the place of protection to hear the message. Should we be surprised? All right. You have to reflect on these things and see the correlation here. I mean, I could go on. It takes time between Isaiah 54, abandonment, Micah 5, long period of abandonment, same thing. And the same thing is talking about in Isaiah verse 1 and 2. That's what's important. And this prophet will appear at the time when this period comes to an end. And at that time, there will a, a male child will be born of a woman. It's obviously going to be a prominent woman, whether it's the queen of Israel or not. We've been told it is, by the way. But you can't prove that in Scripture. And um, it all has to do with the future. Has the church heard this message yet? What do you think? If it's false, I'm wrenching passage passage out of context in opposition to, are you ready? Roman Catholic exegesis, which is documented in one book after another historically, called Bible Commentaries. And do I have a problem with them? No. I like Bible Commentaries. You know, there's going to be young people that are a little bit naive. They're not going to have a problem with this. They don't identify with the Roman Catholic Church. The Protestant Church does. The Protestant Church is always condemning <laughs> the Roman Church. Like there's this great chasm or dichotomy between the two. What did I say earlier about the Western Church? One of the first things you need to know about Protestantism is they agree um, a significant number of times with the Roman Church in contrast to the Eastern Church. You ever hear that? There's somebody who doesn't want you to hear that. When people figure that out, you know what they typically do? They um, convert from Protestantism to the Eastern Church. And then they believe, well, this must be the right group. Because one of these groups has to be God's group, right? The group that has God's favor. What did I say about that? It's all false religion. It's not compatible with Scripture, and you can't prove it anyway. Okay, so anyway. Is there anything else that I'd like to say? Let me see here. Uh, Also, uh, I asked... um, this person about the pet goat to video. Now you notice that there's um, there's at least two different clocks there. These are like uh, you know old fashioned clock on the wall with actually hands, and they're both point at midnight. So naturally, back in 2012, you're going to be thinking, aha, this has to do with this December 21st stuff and the year 2012. So what? What did he, what was he told, what did he hear? Because he heard words in succession, and then he repeated them to me. Okay? 
He said that has to do with December. And I'm telling you right now, I'm not sure if I ever even thought about that before. And I think, I don't remember thinking about it. But if I did, I was probably thinking more along the lines of, uh, you know, the 12 is a reversal of uh, 21. So therefore, it'd be December by implication. I don't remember that. Okay. Now, he also said in a matter of fact way, not specifically, that what happened in December uh, 21 in uh, 2012 was some kind of precursor of what is happening this time around. You've got to be suspicious. You know what I mean? It's in the same month with the same date? Because it's a celestial sign. We're not manufacturing it. Look, at, I thought it, it could be all fake. I wasn't getting excited about it. I didn't believe it because I already believed in artificial night sky. I talked about before, and I want to complicate things. I started to get interested when we got the revelation that this was legitimate. I was going, what? I was thinking, oh, more fakery, right? The same thing with this event. I did not get uh, all whipped up about it, didn't have a big expectation. I heard about it, and I don't know what I was like, you know. Then I asked some questions about it, and I'm like, whoa, this is a messianic sign? We were not told, listen, um, trying to think. No, we've never been told that anything, uh, there's no messianic signs. Nobody told us that about, you know, 2012. See that? Uh, so anyway, he said that that uh, clock is pointing to uh, midnight, you know, 1-2. Now, how would you communicate the month of December numerically? Everybody knows, right? <clears throat> Staring right in the face. It's number 12. Now, obviously, you talk about double fulfillment. You think they weren't pointing to that event in 2012 because the video came out in 2012. I think in the month of May. So what we're talking about is the theory here, which has already been confirmed, that it also points to this December right now. Now, if you don't think that that video is pointing to this time right now, you understand that it refers to the virus. And I will do exegesis of that. In fact, I actually thought about it this morning. And I could do it off the top of my head. And believe it or not, I was told to wait and do a better job of it. So I just need to do a little preparation. Sometimes when I don't do things, I find out later that it's actually gone impeding me, delaying me. That's what I talked about at the beginning of the show, didn't I? Dustin was supposed to be here. We talked about it last night. He ran into some issues. So it enabled me to sit there and um, go through all this preparatory uh, material for actually hours and build a outline, which I'm not even getting halfway through because I don't intend to. I knew I wouldn't before the show, so I'll get back to this later. Okay? It turned out to be a good thing. Do you think God might have been involved with that? Well, same principle. And a lot of times God doesn't notify you. 
report back a considerable amount of time will go by, and then you'll figure out and go, oh, that was obviously God. You know, God sometimes keeps you from doing a stupid thing, but he doesn't tell you. He doesn't say anything, right? People don't really hear from God that much, do they? It makes people nervous. They don't like to talk about it because they don't. Okay? Maybe a few times in your Christian walk before you passed away. That's normal. And there are also people who are legitimate Christians who really never hear anything. And you know why? That's consistent with this era that we live in. We have been stripped of the gifts of God. Satan doesn't want us to know it. He wants us to believe that we have an overflowing blessing. God has given us more than we could ever even handle. The the blessings are so great. Well, actually, that will happen in the future. Look at all the massive confusion. Can God, we call it the Holy Spirit, can the Holy Spirit provide some clarity here so we don't have all this confusion which results in fighting and bickering, all this division which makes us appear to be foolish before the eyes of the world? Has the Holy Spirit done anything significant? Has the Holy Spirit done anything significant to notify the church that hold it here? Just raise the possibility that um, Psalm 45 could possibly be talking about a historical woman that you don't know anything about. Has the Holy Spirit done that? There's no evidence, is there? So there's no discussion. Why does Dave refer to the Christian church as a cult? Everything is a cult within the cult of society. In every cult, these discussions don't exist. You can quickly prove that if you can document that the discussions don't exist. Now, this is really easy to do because if it doesn't exist, well, that wasn't hard. If there's no evidence anywhere, then guess what? You can't prove that it exists because there's no proof. This is not hard, is it? Actually, all, you, all we ever needed was someone to come along and simply point at the problem. Did you notice that no one's pointing at the problem? I'm going to tell you a secret why God has not sent anyone to point these problems out. Now, you should know this by now, so think about it a little bit. Why? Because it's not time yet. Or it's not his will. Is that what Christians believe? No, that's not compatible with... Uh, Christian belief system. But in the uh, <clears throat> book of Isaiah, it talks about a new thing coming, which Christians could give us absolutely zero details about. They'll simply say, well, it must have to do with the new covenant. Well, that already happened, according to what they believe. So is this talking about the first century in Isaiah? First of all, you can't prove that. The context is futuristic. So if you're already under the new covenant, what does this new thing have to do with that you can tell me precisely nothing about as far as details? Another unsolvable problem. You know what the new thing has to do with? They're actually correct. It has to do with the new covenant. And it's not telling you the details, but the new covenant's future. Yeah. The new thing. Talks about it twice. The new thing that Christians know nothing about as far as the details. You know why? Because God hasn't told them yet. Think about all the complex details that have to do with the uh, hands-on restoration 
of Israel, which is not in the Bible. For instance, it tells you that the uh, Levitical, well, the pre, let's just say, the priesthood will be restored. You know, it gives you uh, some rudimentary information about that, like in Ezekiel 43 and 44. Does it give you sufficient information to restore the priesthood? No. No. Well, then we're going to need more information, aren't we? Yes. See the trick of the devil? It's all in your Bible somewhere. No, it never was. It was an extraordinary claim that people didn't identify as a massive deception because their minds were blinded by God. Do you ever hear anybody talk about that? Do you ever hear anybody talk about how Christianity is the best religion we have, but all Christians are suffering from a curse from God? It's called spiritual blindness, which actually has to do with the human intellect. Do you ever hear one person say that? Because that's what I'm saying. It's a foreign thought, isn't it? You know something? That could be a good thing because it's historically unique. If you think I have a big ego, then why don't you do some research and tell me the second guy to go do that and get back with me? Nobody ever has when I challenge people. When I challenge people, it's always something that I know you can't do. I send you off on Mission Impossible, right? That's why there's no emails. There's always delusional people. They, well, they, they're going to believe that this, they found this passage, but actually nobody ever showed up. But these delusional people do exist, right? But apparently they didn't have the courage um, or motivation to contact me. So what else do we have here? Anything? Um, Yeah, I just want to reiterate that, you know, the double 21s here, these two celestial signs. Oh, we got a confirmation that it does point to, here we go, it does point to um, 2021. So, I am going to say that I have the expectation that the Messiah is going to appear this year. Did I make a prediction? No. Did I prophesy? No. I said expectation. I'm using my words very carefully, just like a lawyer. It doesn't matter what you do. Somebody will say, he prophesied. It didn't come to happen. He's a false prophet. According to the law of Moses, well, then go kill him, like it says. Uh, just like tithing. Who does the tithe go to? Levitical priesthood? Oh, but we want it. We like that. Oh, yeah. Let's get those ties coming in the church. Does it talk about church buildings in the Bible anywhere? No. Does it talk about pastors? No. Only in the plural, one time. And that word's a mistranslation of shepherd. Does it talk about sermons anywhere? No. Is Christianity like a, a, a threefold expression of those things? Yes. Are they in the Bible anywhere? No. Do you see a problem? Well, actually, the Christians don't see a problem. That is the problem. There's, there's, there's no problems around here, not in my group. We have a favor of God. It's like ancient Israel, right? And then the prophet shows up, and what does the prophet say? Nothing good. 
And the people go, well, that guy's, what is wrong with this guy? He must be delusional. He can't even give us a compliment or one or two, a little encouragement. So we're going to reject you. That, there's no way that message could be from God. Did you notice that this is a very negative message, but it does culminate in blessing? But this, we don't hear this negative message, do we? And it refers to every one of us, because we're all under a corporate judgment. You're in a corporate judgment, everyone's involved. doesn't matter how righteous you are. So um, I want to communicate something to influence you and, and actually put this information to the test, but we only have one source, and that's the source that I relied on before I did this particular podcast, which the tentative title right now is Fresh Revelation. I kind of like that one, okay? And you know what he said? He said it's sooner than you think. That's what he said, word for word. So that was what was passed on to me. That should encourage you. Now, there's a certain type of person out there that starts to become proud because they identify with this message. Oh, I believe in this message. And they start to, you know, point the finger at all the dumb, dumb Christians and, oh, they're so dumb and stupid. and We're better than them. Watch out for them. That's Satan's next trick if you start to acknowledge any of this stuff is true. And that will destroy you in the end if you don't repair your ways. Um, I asked the question, uh, is the conjunction video that I watched fake? Because I thought it was. Do I want to go into this? He said no. Let me see how much more we've done here. Uh-oh, we got, uh-oh. I think uh, we'll do this at a later point. I'm tempted to want to get into this. The conjunction video that I saw on YouTube, it was, it was originally a live stream, uh, was not compatible with my belief system of the, of the planets, okay? So therefore, I concluded it was most likely fake. Um... How hard is this going to be to do this? Okay, well, we're going to talk about the nature of stars, so we can save this for later, because um, at least some of it. But um, I think I'll address this now, okay? And you'll see how um, when I'm in, what I perceive to be an error, I repair my ways and I go with a revelation. So, 
Here we go. Uh, does Dave believe that the uh, the so-called planets, which are actually stars, are perfect spheres? Remember we mentioned that earlier with the flat earthers? Is that what I believe? No. It, why? Because we were told that they have a, uh, actually a radically irregular surface to the point well, they would have more uh, in common with a tic-tac-toid, you know, with these little, you know, protuberances in a perfect sphere. So I'm looking at this video, and what do I see? I see uh, two perfect spheres. And um, is that what I believe? Is that what we were told by Revelation? No. So I'm going, something's up with this. So I asked him, I said, is this a legitimate uh, video? He said, yes. And I'm going, what? So, did I reject it? No. Then how are we going to make this work? And at that time, I believe that it was poured into my mind. That's a term that the angels told us maybe back in like 2012 or 2011. They said, we pour it into your mind. In other words, you don't really hear anything specific. It's just like this concept that just arrived and you actually understand the concept without any distinct words in fact there was a lady on coast to coast that actually claims that um and i believe her that dolphins do this they will give you a concept when they communicate to you they're they are highly intelligent but not as intelligent as the new ages claim you listen to a new age science of porpoise is more intelligent than the human in fact um I'll be the first to tell you, there are some purposes that are more intelligent than humans, okay? Yeah, we got some humans running around here. <clears throat> yeah, okay? I'll go with the porpoise, but as generally, <laughs> I'm going to go with the human. The concept that was poured into my mind, see, I already knew one thing that NASA will not tell you. First of all, you have to begin with the concept that the moon everything's a lie okay and it's from satan that the moon is self-luminous is that what science says no they say it's reflecting the sun sun's rays right i tell you what if you just assumed that it was a lie you'd be better off on a percentage basis i'm like everything is a lie and you may not know what the truth is because it's just one lie after another that's what flat earthers just say, and then they'll believe what NASA says anyway. They, they're inconsistent, right? <laughs> they trust NASA for certain data. Because if, if you don't go with NASA, then you have no data. So all the data comes to an institution, right? So they will talk a big talk, but they don't back it up, do they? They will say, well, some of this has to be valid. Well, you don't have the authority to determine that because you haven't been out there looking down <laughs> or you've been up there looking up, you haven't done any of these things. This is why tradition is so important. Because at one time, people had knowledge of these things. You think that Adam didn't know the true cosmology and communicated to somebody? Of course he did. Well, what happened to that? Well, God allows Satan to steal it away. Should we be surprised, okay? It's the same old show, by the way, over and over again. Eventually, you know, I mean, anyway, you don't have to be real smart to figure this out. 
you just have to develop a, a healthy distrust of um, institutions which disperse propaganda 24-7. This, this um, solution to the problem was instantaneous because I knew something that um, very few people know. Not only is the moon self-luminous, everything is self-luminous. Actually, I've actually told you that before. I didn't mean to say that, but the stars have their own luminosity. But guess what? Everything is, is luminous. Everything in creation, and it's already been proven, and they cover that up too. I'm, I'm talking about experiments. In a perfectly dark room back in the 19th century, I've talked about this before. Well, anyway, <laughs> there's a reason why these stars in the sky uh, project light. You're supposed to believe that they're reflecting the light of the sun, too. Did you know that? Is that what the ancients believed? No. No. They believed that every celestial object was self-luminous. So they're going to cover that up, too, aren't they? Well, that's what they did. So do you ever hear an alternative opinion? It shows you how smart these flat earthers are, by the way. They mostly follow science. They're critiquing science, but they're not smart enough to figure out that it's propaganda uh, in a way that is beyond what they can possibly. Apparently, they, their brains can't process that because it's just too much propaganda. It's a form of the big lie. In this particular instance, there's so many lies that if you put them all together, it's one big grand lie, and their mind can't believe that there is that much propaganda, like most human beings. It's too much for my brain to process, so we're going to downsize it a little bit here. We still believe in planets, right? And they're all perfect spheres, of course. Is a human able to prove these things? Virtually impossible. Let me illustrate that. You have to infallibly prove that you're not looking at a... Uh, <clears throat> Uh, an artificial night sky. In other words, you, you have to infallibly prove as a human standing on Earth that that's not a holographic projection. Um, are you, can you prove that you're not a holographic projection? Mr. Christian? Uh, actually, nobody can do that. How would you go about doing that? That calls into question virtually everything else in reality, doesn't it? See, humans don't have these abilities. We're kind of tiny and don't. The opposite of that view is called humanism, isn't it, which is bolstered by science. Oh, we're so wonderful, and we're always evolving and going forward uh, because of science, right, technology. If you notice, everything is getting better and better every day. Oh, that's not true. Uh-oh, we got a problem. Is science helping us today? When is science going to notify you that a mask is bad for your health? Is they ever going to do that? Probably not. Okay. Actually, science is. Is it going to be promoted in mind control society? Of course not. Better wear your mask. <clears throat> Good for your health. You betcha. You breathe your own uh, carbon dioxide, and you need to have uh, lowered levels of oxygen. That's good for your health. Uh, what is the number one requirement of the human body? I'm not talking about the fifth element, okay? The ethers, oxygen. The number one requirement of the human body is oxygen. Are you getting more oxygen or less oxygen when you wear a mask? 
I'm not even going to tell you, okay? You go think about that and you decide <clears throat> whether you want to change your worldview. All right? So this concept was like poured into my mind. I'm used to giving credit to somebody else besides myself, in other words, God. And I had a new thought in my head I had never even pondered before. Because I already knew that the stars were self-luminous, right? Don't hold it here. Who cares what if they have a regular surface? What if they had a perfectly spherical projection that was luminous? And by the way, how would you prove that this is not true? The little man on earth, the little blind man, right? Who relies on technology and all the experts and astrophysicists, they're all mind control too, in mind control cults, that's all controlled to keep us down on the farm and in the dark. How do you prove that, little man? Uh, you can't, but you're going to believe it anyway. Remember I said about the comfortable belief? What if science was really propaganda? Well, you might have problems sleeping at night, because now what are you going to do? You're not able to discern reality. Would that make you feel uncomfortable? Oh, yeah. Remember the scared little children under the bed? They don't want to look. They don't want to look at reality. Well, there you go. So I asked him an odd question. Does this uh, spherical appearance have to do with the self-luminosity of the stars? He got a yes. There you go. So that is my new belief, which nobody can disprove. Okay. Problem solved, at least as far as the information that's incoming. Call the confirmation, okay? We got another problem. Did they believe that Saturn has rings? I had never seen this before. I have never seen a close-up that I trusted, uh, you know, of Saturn. So if Dave ever sees a um, you know, visual of Saturn and it has rings, He's going to go, that's fake. I did not believe that Saturn had rings. I believe they're manufactured. All right? It was blowing my mind because I'm sitting there going, this is incredible. So I asked him a simple question. Does Saturn have rings? He got a yes. What does Dave do? I immediately changed my belief. Just like that. Now I believe the Saturn has rings. I don't understand it, but it doesn't matter. Here you go. Now we got one more problem. This is supposed to be a genuine video. It's incompatible with my belief system. One more problem. We were told that all of these, we're talking about seven basic stars. The reason I talk about these seven stars, these seven stars were prominent in the ancient world, going back to ancient Sumer, Babylon, whatever the heck, you know. I realize there's issues of credibility, okay? But these seven stars are identified with the seven angels that stand before the throne. I realize I haven't communicated the concept that I've been banging the drum about years. Uh, I haven't communicated this quite a while. What is that concept? Not, this, not only does every single person have an angel that's associated with them? 
You ever hear that one before? But also, every angel has a star, a center star. But that would also be your star, too, because you're identified with this angel. Now, if that was true, do you think they'd want you to know that? You know the answer, don't you? They would not want you to know that. Okay? I'm just telling you that's the truth. Uh, Mercury is Michael's star. That's why they made it so little. Okay? Uh, He's going to do something about that in the future. He's going to take some people out as soon as that gives him the thumbs up. Because he likes to destroy things, okay? He probably thinks it's kind of fun. Gabriel, too. He's um, the angel of death. I don't know if there's more than one of them, but um, what we've been told, uh, there was one angel who destroyed the entire Assyrian army. It only takes one. Okay? And they can't do anything about it. I don't care about their technology. They can't stop a little angel. Okay? Kind of humiliating, isn't it? When the Assyrian army uh, surrounded Jerusalem and Hezekiah had to intercede and God answered his prayer and sent an angel and slew them all, except for the king and a few of his um, sidekicks, and they went back to Assyria and his own sons slew him, which is a greater humiliation. And now you're done. You know that most Christians don't even know that story is in the Bible? too fantastic, isn't it? No wonder people don't believe the Bible. All right? So we've been shown that all of the, they're lying. There is no giant, there is no great conjunction. Because that's based on the unprovable theory. Remember, you can't prove that it's not an artificial night sky or a holographic projection, okay? You, You can't do that. So you have zero certainty about anything you see up there. Maybe you need to think that through a little bit. You know, put this on pause and don't just keep listening. Pause and reflect, okay? You can prove nothing. Start with the hologram. Are you a hologram? Okay. That's so hard after all. Talking about absolute proof now, absolute certainty. Sorry for you. You're too little and too ignorant. So you ought to pass on that one. Go try and prove it, oh, by the way. Let's see how you do that. People have never thought about this. They go, how would you go about proving that absolutely? Um, there you go. Think about that for a while, and then start listening to the recording again. You'll hopefully agree with me. It's a problem, and it's a big, unsolvable problem, and nobody's going to solve it. Unless they have access to privileged knowledge, which we don't. We're all peasants, okay, in the technocracy. That's why I call us techno-peasants. We're a different kind of peasant. But we're supposed to be smarter and of course we're superior. Well, you're always superior. You know, always superior. That just shows you that somebody's trying to feed your ego. That's what humanism is. Feeds the ego. And women have fallen for it more than men and feminism is an expression of that many branches of uh, humanism. Okay. So, 
another uh, unusual thought was poured into my mind. I may have concluded this uh, on, on, on my own. It was very simple. I asked the question, um, is it true that Saturn is farther away from the Earth in this conjunction in Jupiter? You got a yes. See how simple that was? Problem solving. In other words, you're, you're making a massive assumption that both of these planets are the exact same distance from the Earth. Why would you believe that? You have no evidence. This is kind of funny because um, in the ancient world, people believed that the sun and the moon were the um, same distance from Earth. Is that what we're told? You're always going to be told a lie, okay? Why do they believe that? Because you can do this for yourself. We're not talking about the sun itself appears. It doesn't change in size, okay? But as it rises and sets, it, it, it will change in shape. Does it actually change in shape physically? No. It's a perception. You can call it illusion if you want. I, I wouldn't go that far. Okay? It doesn't grow or shrink. Look in the sky, and you will notice that normally the sun and the moon both appear to be the same size. Wow. Just like the moon always appears to be facing the earth, doesn't it? I guess what? They're not spheres. They are irregular sloped disks. Can we disprove that? No. How do you how do you disprove that? Think of it like a shield. We've talked about this before. This is what the angels told us. Imagine the moon as a curved shield that always faces the earth, and it's self-luminous. That's your moon, okay? You think you want to cover that up? Now, I'm talking about the sun and the moon. Are the stars shaped like that? No. They have a highly irregular surface. The Illuminati know this. This is why. We talk about the truth that is actually communicated in a cartoon or a comic book. That's where they show you the truth. How do they portray a star? Well, if you just see, like, um, a sphere, you would go, what is that? Is that, you wouldn't even know it's a celestial. If it's in the sky, you go, well, that must be the sun and the moon. Okay? But they don't portray it that way, do they? They have five different points, and it, um, it's one-dimensional. We were told that all the stars have such a highly irregular surface that they actually have protuberances, like large mountains like Everest sticking out from them. How would you portray that one-dimensionally? And if you want to use a little exaggeration, you'd create a star put it right in front of their face, uh, tell you they're perfect spheres, and you go back to sleep, okay? That's what they did. You think this is going to change anything? No. Uh, but it will be uh, 
change the minds of people in this community. This is not going to be some kind of um, <clears throat> compound, like David Koresh's compound back in 1993. The number one word that you heard over and over, except for David Koresh, was the compound, the compound. There's going to be millions of people there. There were scholars, there's different views, there's a high and low count, but they acknowledged that there was millions of people on the first exodus. This one's going to be bigger. That's a lot of space, isn't it? And there's a unique geographical region of Earth that you can actually look at and go, wow, that's a really unique geographical area. It's right there. Always been there. It's a pristine area saved for God's people. It has very unusual names. And if you get in the background, the so-called inner circle, I want to make a comment about that too. Uh, that's one of the first things I'll tell you. You develop a certain level of trust. What is this inner circle that we talk about? You've never really heard me use that term. It's simply one thing. People who are able to hear. That's it. Hear from their angel. Because I can say all kinds of stuff, and they can get confirmations, and now I can talk about this, I can talk about that. Because they, their angel will say, yes, yeah. He's right about that. They actually say that. Here's what the angel said on two different occasions, the court of Connie and Lisa. Listen today. I'm just telling you. If I had Connie on here, she'd say, yeah, I was told that. Listen to Dave. You ready? You're programmed to think about Dave's big ego. Listen to Dave. He's right about almost Everything. I'm just, I'm just passing on. That's what they said. So now we know what's a demon. <clears throat> All right. Well, you know something? You guys got a big job to do. Nobody's even started to prove anything wrong. They just stay away. And, you know, I make out like this is a negative thing. Why is this happening? God's not doing anything. He doesn't want me to have a website. He doesn't want these things discussed. That surprise you? It's not time yet. He wants it in the background. This is his way of keeping it in the background. It's there. God's not help, helping people to find this podcast. He's allowing it to be hidden. And everybody has their testimony, but how did you find this? Remember what Dustin said last night? He said, I didn't even say anything. He said this show is very hard to find. And he actually told me in a different conversation if I had not been on uh, Johnny McMahon's show, that's the guy I'm dialoguing with at the beginning of that Into the Blight Xmas. Okay, he's the owner of Fringe Radio Network. He said, if I had not heard you on there, I don't know if I ever would have discovered you. He acted like it was an act of God. You can look at the algorithms in the search engine, put in like conspiracy, Illuminati, flatter, as you go on and on. Only occasionally will I show up and uh, you're going, Dave, you know, your show is not that important. Uh, you ready for a wake-up call? Back in 2012 when we started out, you have the hot section in iTunes. We had two rooms. Not only was room one consistently in the hot section, but room two also got in there. You know who else was doing that? Um... 
there are a few people out there who actually have two different podcasts, and they might be in the hot section. Off the top of my head, I can't think of anybody, but I, I think there are some. I just can't think of anybody. We were doing that in our first year. After that, completely disappeared out of the hot section. Also, they have this little graph for the most popular downloads uh, on you know, iTunes, you know, this, this particular show, individual show, is this popular? I'm like a scale of one to ten. We had consistent tens. Everything was a ten. In 2012, not not every month, and it's dwindled ever since. What do you think about that? And uh, I got a room too, which I hardly ever talk about. Um, we are completely unable to get that podcast in iTunes, so it is largely unknown. By the way, for the first time, there's um, there's a site out there that actually carries it. Well, that really surprised me, because that's why I, I, I lost motivation to even do anything in there. There's a lot of audio there, by the way. In fact, just today, I thought about uh, uh, uploading some of the audio from 2012. You know, it does have inferior sound quality in room two, uh, instead of doing little or nothing. But right now, what we're doing, we're... Um, we're recording the uh, the audio in uh, in room two, uh, so I can edit it. Uh, it doesn't always need to be edited. Splice it or something, you know, and uh, make some kind of improvement, and then release it. Otherwise, I don't. It just goes right on iTunes. See, that's why it you know it's delayed sometimes. Um, like right now, we got problems with our audio. Uh, my bumper uh, music guy, he's um, he's telling me he's got problems with it. I read that on the phone. So it's it's bad sound quality. All right. So I had three problems there. They're all resolved, and now I have a new conclusion. Um, the audio is um is real. I believe it was fake. There you go. That's a good example of fresh revelation. Dave's making. Instantaneous changes in this cosmology. You know why? Because I trust the revelation. Been doing this for years. Um, I've become very good at it. You know things like discernment. Always remember, there is no one that's infallible. See, we want an infallible prophet, and if he's not, if he makes one error. We want to kill him, don't we? Because that's what it says in a lot of Moses. Well, you think that'd be a good idea, but nobody ever acts upon it. This is childish. But we have this standard. Oh, you cannot error. Show me anybody beyond the apostles that is inerrant. Um, how long do you have to think about that person? There is nobody. So you're going to have that unrealistic expectations on us, too. I said before, like Lisa would, I'd ask, it'd be late at night, she'd be tired. Be washing dishes. I'd ask her a question, yes or no question. She would get the yes and the no confused and give me wrong answer. No, it didn't happen that often. But later, I'd figure it out. Holy, you must have confused because I'd ask again to get a different answer, and they they actually would say, you know, she got confused somehow. I go, there you go. You see that? 
Is that infallibility? No. All humans err, and we err every day. Yeah. Oh, we're supposed to have. You know where these high expectations come from? Satan. Because he knows <laughs> there's no infallibility. So, therefore, he wants you to have that standard, which Christianity can never measure up to. Remember, he doesn't want you to be a Christian. But if you um, become a Christian, then he wants you to believe the propaganda. It's theological propaganda, isn't it? You know how many Christians I've heard talk about theological propaganda? Nobody. They don't even believe in significant infiltration. Talking about by humans, not demons. The infiltrators, they have theological propaganda. And it's all over the place because God allowed it. And if you think about one thing, the subject of theological propaganda, go back to Matthew 17 11. What do you think that verse is going to tell you? Elijah will come and restore what? Everything. Did that happen in the first century? People say, well, John the Baptist was Elijah. No, John the Baptist was dead. And your religion just crashed at your feet. And obviously people have heard me talk about this over and over again. They just brush themselves off and just move right on as if nothing happened. You know, if you hear this on a Sunday night, you wake up next day in the Monday, go to work, act as if um, I never looked in the mirror at myself. Well, you're not such a pretty pure person, are you? That's the church, too. The church is pretty ugly. That's why the world is not attracted to it. And that's why they have to manufacture all this fake hoopla, these mega churches, to actually attract people artificially through to appeal to the flesh and the methods of the world. Oh, then you could, yeah, you can bring these people in, just like a circus, you know what I mean? That's what we have today. Most of these people today, should, they should not even be in church. The terrors outnumber the, the so-called wheat, you know, the parable of the wheat and the terrors. I have a problem with that wheat word, wheat. <laughs> you know what I said earlier about gluten? Gluten. Um, I don't think it's modern wheat. If it is, it's been mutated. I mean, it's not. Early. Wheat is an insignificant grass, and, it, and there's evidence that it's been through significant mutation. So if they had any kind of wheat back then, it was a lot different than what we got today. Because this stuff today is making us sick. And I'll tell you what it is. It's weaponized food. And why do we have weaponized food? Uh, the same reason that every single Christian has chemtrails gunk in their hair, blowing on their head. Is God doing anything about that? You know, if you don't like the scriptural aspect of this, just focus on chemtrails, your conspiracy theorists, and just remember that one simple fact. Every Christian, okay? His chemtrails falling from the sky on his head. Has God done anything yet? No. You think he would allow this in ancient Israelites if they were doing the right thing? No. They actually had promises from God that they would be protected. Are we protected? No. You know what that one single thing does? It validates everything I've been talking about, about the true nature of the Christian church it's been covered up by God and Satan. God uses Satan to keep people in the dark. That's why we talked about coming out of the dark. 
because everybody's in the dark. Everybody. So this podcast was like a little light beam, like out of the dark. And people see the light beam, and they, what do they do? They, they scamper. Right? Because it exposes the truth. Do they want to believe in the truth, the truth about Christianity? No, they want to identify on an emotional level with their religion because they're proud of it, because it, here we go, feeds their ego. All right? So there you go. I put some effort in late at night, you know. And uh, I think we'll wrap it up there. But we will talk more about stars, I think, of the gospel of the stars. I'll say a little bit about it. I, I, I did mention it. Um, I didn't read um, the two passages that have to do with the stars in Scripture. That they are, they actually communicate knowledge. It actually, you can look up uh, Psalm nineteen, one through four, or four a, first part of the verse. It's telling you the stars speak. They communicate knowledge. Is that what Christians believe? No. That has to do with the occult and astrology. That's a psyop. We'll call it the astrology psyop. By the way, there was no astrology. It was all one ancient science, what we would today call actually astronomy. There wasn't like a separate branch. In other words, astrology is a modern word. To create confusion, by the way. And who is the confusion always directed at? The Christian mind, because they're the enemy. All right. So I'm going to wrap this up and get some rest. I'll probably look at something on. Here's a new term, the boob screen. Because most people are looking at YouTube, right? And they're moving away from television and... uh, That's the way of the world today. So, all right, we're going to close this up, and thanks for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you hopefully soon. Goodbye. This evening, most people in Washington didn't drive after drinking. They did happy hour virtually. They chose a designated driver. They made sure their friends stayed safe too. And thanks to those good decisions, our roads stayed safe. 78% of us in Washington never drink before we drive. And that's a choice that's easy to live with. A message from Target Zero. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.